Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and joining me are Devendra Hardwar and Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, today on this podcast, what we're going to be doing is discussing some what we've been watching and then moving on into an in-depth review of Little Women uh, with Melissa Tominga from Seattle Screen Scene. Uh, really looking forward to that conversation. I think it'll be a good one. But uh, yeah, that's what we have in store for you for the podcast. Find more episodes at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Now, I literally just got back home from L.A. about two hours ago. So I just flew in from L.A., uh, and if I'm a little bit tired and loopy, that's why my flight got canceled, by the way, completely oh, canceled. Man. And, uh, uh, I had, what were be, you flying? I was flying Southwest and I, it, oh, let me just man. tell you, yeah. it is a fairly terrifying experience to go to the, <laughs> like go through the security and get yep, the thing. Yep. And then you get there and it just says big words canceled. And I'm like, don't we have the technology that they could like notify you of this, you know, via an email or something like that? I guess I should have checked the status, but it feels like this is a problem we should have solved already. Anyway, uh, I got in uh, a couple hours ago uh, from LA because I was there to film a live performance with Stephen Tobolowski at the White Fire Theater, and I put the call out for people to RSVP to that last week. Many of you did, and I just want to just thank everyone who came to that event. Uh, it was so cool, and uh, we got all the footage we needed. The, the audience, by the way, was extremely patient and understanding. We like uh, had to do like crowd reactions separately, so we pointed the cameras at the crowd, and they all did the reactions like we wanted them to. And everyone was just so awesome, and uh, I'm very grateful for everyone who showed up. So thanks all for coming, and I thought I thought it went really well. And looking forward to launching those videos out into the world in the next few months. Finally. I also had a chance to hang out with Peter Serretta, editor-in-chief of SlashFilm.com, when I was down in L.A. And I, uh, we're, we're walking down Hollywood Boulevard, just chatting, walking down Hollywood Boulevard and chatting. And we're passing these people who, like, it's this thing where you, you dress up in these costumes. Like, people dress up in these costumes, and you mm-hmm. pay them so you can take a photo with them. Yeah. And I have to say, overall, it's, like, pretty depressing because... I, I, I don't, the, I don't the, feel like you're giving that... A good enough description. Okay, tell me. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I was going to get into it, but go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> you said, you know, it, it seems like it's an organized thing. And, uh, <laughs> Jeff, you, know, you seem really into this for some reason. Well, as somebody who lives and works in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have and, those two in New York, and they're the people in Times Square, and you don't want to have pictures right. with them, but they're, they're there. <laughs> no, you don't want to have pictures with these people either, and I think yeah. Dave is going to explain that. But I want it to be very clear if anybody has not been to Times Square or not been down to Hollywood and Highland, the man's Chinese theater is really where, which I guess is not called that anymore. Anyway, the old man's <laughs> Chinese theater yeah. um, is where this happens. It's it's become sort of LA's version of Times Square. And these are just amateur <laughs> people uh-huh. uh, yeah. who, who procure their own costuming. It, I think... Perhaps I was just worried, Dave, that when people heard you explain it, they thought, oh, yeah, it's like going to Disneyland and you get a picture yeah. with Mickey. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? This is, that's the aspiration of what these people <laughs> want to provide. Yes. But yes. the truth of it is that you have uh, people uh, often in, in very, very, very hot California weather yeah. uh, wearing layers and layers of ill-fitting, poorly constructed costumes. Yeah. 
Uh, some of them actually very good, I should say, too. I don't want to cast aspersions, but uh, there's a, let's say, a broad spectrum of quality level. And uh, and they are, there are numerous ones. There are very odd choices as to who, who what people are there as and what they're doing and how they get you to. So you go into what you're saying. I just wanted you to be clear that this is not something that is official <laughs> and it's not. <laughs> The, the experience can be across the board. So yes, all yeah. very fair to say, and I think that um, uh, it, what I saw leaned more heavily on the low end of the experience, right? Like, There's actually a, a great documentary. Have you ever seen the, the documentary? I can't remember what it's called, but about the guy who played Superman for years and years. I think he's still out there. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But. Well, I remember what that movie is called, but it's great about this dude who like would go out and be Superman every single day. Because w- w- when you go to like Comic Con or something, you see like extremely sophisticated uh, uh, cosplay. You know what cosplay. I mean? Like people yeah. who have put hours and hours of work into these costumes, and it's like you can appreciate the craftsmanship and like those many of those people, I would pay money to take a photo with. Uh, yeah. Just because it's like, wow, like you, you put so much work. You clearly have admired this for a long time. But many of the people I encountered kind of j- just look like they bought uh, a costume at the dollar store. You know what I mean? They're like ill-fitting. Mm. They don't even look anything like what they're supposed to. Anyway, so I'm walking down the street with Peter Serretta. And we see like Spider-Man and we see Captain America and we see all these other things. And, and we're like, okay, we have no desire to take a photo with any of these people. But then... We saw someone dressed as a Navi, which I, I know people might not know what that is. It's a... No, everyone uh, knows what that is, Dave. Everyone a, knows what that is. It's a creature from the uh, 2009 movie Avatar by James Cameron. And Peter saw so it. What, and, wait, so what you're saying, just to be clear, <laughs> a person getting their livelihood by dressing up as a character from Avatar... Mm-hmm. And relying on people's excitement and desire to be photographed with it. It's true. Just it's saying. That's, that is the, the, the single way, the single <laughs> method that person was making money that day. Yeah. How is business doing, Dave? Uh, so P- Peter saw uh, this Navi character and he's like, well, we, we have to get Do exactly what it was right away. We have right, to call ahead. Jeff. We have to call Jeff. Get him over here. He's like, we have to take a photo of this because, you know, he's you aware. Saw, you saw the. <laughs> the giant line of people waiting to get their picture taken with the Navi. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we, Peter's like, we have to take a photo because he he knows of the ongoing dispute on the Slice Filmcast about how culturally relevant uh, Avatar is. And so he's like, we got to take a photo with this person. So we go up to this Navi character and and um, uh, Peter's like, oh, don't worry, David, I'll pay for it. So he so let me ask you, Devendra, how much money do you think one should pay to take a photo with, with a Navi on Hollywood Boulevard? Um, hmm. I almost feel like they should be paying you, but <laughs> 10, 20 bucks. Sure. Oh, wow. 10, I get things are way more expensive in, in New York, I guess. But yeah, Peter, Peter was handed this person a dollar. Right. And cause that's honestly, oh. I thought it was a dollar. Like I thought it was like one or $3 because the person is not doing anything other than walking around in right, the costume right. and you're just getting, it's you're getting a photo taken with them. So Peter hands them a dollar and the per like the person takes a dollar and says, I'd really prefer five dollars, and Peter's like, "Well, I don't, I don't That's have five. Peter's like, yeah. "I don't have five dollars," and he, she's like, "I can make change." <laughs> so then Peter's like, "Okay," <laughs> so he gets out his wallet, 
And he hands, he's like, oh, actually, I do have $5. So he hands over $5. And uh, then, you know, I'm like, her, her, her friend is with her, right? This, this, uh, this Navi person has a friend with them dressed in a pirate outfit. And she's like, oh, I can take the photo for you, right? And that'll be $5. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, I'm like, so she didn't you know I'm getting to that. So I'm like, no, I'll just take a selfie. So I'll take a, take a selfie. And then I'm like, you know what? It would be nice to have a little photo that's farther away. So I hand <laughs> my phone to the pirate person and never uh, hand your phone to a pirate. Yeah, I, yeah. Trust me. I'm learning that. And so then she takes the photo and then we're like getting ready to leave. And then she's like, what? No tip for the photographer. And so then, you know, Peter tips her, but, she was, yeah. she also wanted five dollars, and uh, I'll just say this: that I now have, in a way, more and less respect for these people. I have more Listen, respect in at that- least five. But I will say five bucks seems fair for the like. It's it just sucks what they're doing. So yeah, <laughs> and that's fair compensation for standing out there and probably being ignored for hours on end. Five bucks seems fine. I mean, I think yeah, <laughs> you would you would not you wouldn't tip a. Uh, a valet a dollar would you i uh, yeah. I, I would not tip a valet a dollar i would do a few dollars but but I, I think a valet is performing a more valuable service <laughs> than uh someone standing out there in a, a copyrighted outfit you know taking photos of strangers that, that's me i don't know i don't, I don't want to be like uh, elitist about valets but i guess i just feel i, I don't the, the point i was making you're is saying that, if there was a navi parking your car Twenty <laughs> ups of dollars. You'd be Parking like ten dollars. Avacar. Avacar. There you go. Yeah. Um. Uh. I guess I have more and less respect because on the one hand, these people have this thing down to a science, right? Where, uh, they they know how to extract the maximum amount of money possible. Oh yeah. Um. From individuals, and it's like, hey, you know, game recognized game, and if that's what you're gonna do, you might as well make as much as much money as possible, and they know exactly what to say to like get that amount of money. But the reason I have less respect is I'm never doing that again. <laughs> you know, uh, I think that's uh, that was a little bit more more the than safest thing is never engage, never engage. Yes, just don't. Yeah, don't. Uh, if the opportunity comes up to yeah. talk to them, stay away don't. from that Elmo. Stay away from that Minnie Mouse. Just don't engage. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> Good. Well, I, They're dangerous. One, They're I'm dangerous. very proud yeah. of you, Dave, for uh, taking a picture with the Navi. It's something that. You can pass down to your grandchildren, and yeah. uh, when they are enjoying uh, Avatar five and six in a hundred years, yeah, yeah. I just want to say one last thing about this before we move on, which is that uh, there is a photo of me and the Navi, and I'm I'm holding her tail, like I'm picking it up and holding it, and a lot of people said, "Hey, like you shouldn't have done that without permission," because as we all know. Um, the tail is the organ that Navi use both to control dragons and to mate with other Navi. Mm. Um, yeah. And they're like, you know, you really have to have consent for that. And I just want to clarify that uh, she asked me to pick it up for the photo. She's like, hey, pick up the tail. It's going to look cool. So Hashtag I just, Navi too. <laughs> I just need to make clear that was how that went down. So, uh, okay. A lot of work probably went into that tail. The tail is the hardest part. Yes. Yes. All right. Let me just let's move on to what we've been watching. I'll say one <laughs> quick thing that I've been watching, which is uh, I had a chance to watch this movie called uh, 
<laughs> Medical Police. Have you guys heard of this? this it's not a movie. It's, it's a, a series. It's a series. Yeah, it's a yeah. series uh, on Netflix. It's basically uh, a continuation of Children's Hospital, uh, which is uh, which was an Adult Swim series like starring Rob Corddry and David Wayne directed many of the episodes and this is yeah it's it's just like a straight continuation of that but it's on Netflix the episodes are a little longer they're closer to like 20 25 minutes uh and it's hard to describe what the show is it's it, it's extremely the pitch, goofy. I mean the pitch is like it is sort of like a almost like 24 but with medicine <laughs> I think it's like, like it's like yeah? a parody you know it's like a parody of Medical dramas like, uh, you know, yeah. ER, Grey's Anatomy, Scrubs. But they're out in the field fighting terrorists. Yeah, yeah, but 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 here's the thing: it's like, <laughs> so if you think like postmodern, postmodernism is like, you know, there's no reliable reality, and we can comment on it and su- such. Like, uh, you know, you know, like air, airplane is like, hey, we're we're sure. kind of commenting and parodying these movies, right? Uh, sure. this, these kind of dramas. This is like post postmodern it's like it's commenting on things that comment on hospital dramas you know what i mean like mm. it's like hey hey we know what it's like to satirize like this this genre and we're going to like satirize the people that like satirize the genres it's like comedy bang bang yeah yeah it, it, comedy exactly. bang bang is that it's like it's 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 jokes for people that make jokes exactly it's ultra ultra meta and I don't think it's for everyone, but I had a great time watching it. So uh, I would recommend it to you if, if that sounds interesting. If, if that sounds interesting, weirdly, I, I think you actually have to have watched a significant portion of Children's Hospital to really get the most enjoyment out of this. Is it in the same universe? It's in the same. Not only is it in the same universe, it's the same <laughs> characters. It's it okay. takes place in the same location, and and it references events that occurred in Children's Hospital. So it's like. You really need to have watched a lot of Children's Hospital to it's get the most of this. Universe here. Yeah. yeah, but they they kind of do as much as they can to like set it up in the uh, in the opening episode. So, Children's Hospital case. expanded universe, man. Exactly. Gotta get exactly. In All right. Well, before we move on to what else I've been watching, we got to thank our first sponsor, Pretty Litter. Devendra, tell us about Pretty Litter. Sure. So I have two cats. It is now winter and very cold in New York. And the problem with having two cats is that, yeah, they really stink up their litter boxes. So rather than go out to the store, lug a huge 20 or 40 pound bag of litter home, I've been using Pretty Litter to get kitty litter uh, delivered directly to my door. And that is just a huge lifesaver in these very cold months. It's basically... Litter reinvented. Uh, They have super light crystals uh, that trap odor and release moisture. So what you get is a very dry litter that doesn't actually smell very much. And uh, it's pretty dust-free, too, which is a problem I've had with a lot of, like, corn-based and other litters out there. Uh, I really love that it is delivered to me, and it comes in a pretty small bag that I can store easily. It lasts an entire month. Um, So before, I used to juggle really heavy bags and boxes of litter. No more of that. What I really love about Pretty Litter is that it's sort of a health detector, too. Um, It can change color depending on what's going on with your cat. So uh, maybe a kidney issue, maybe one color. Um, For my cats, like there have been uh, urinary tract infections and things you have to track that are hard to really notice in normal litter. So I appreciate that Pretty Litter kind of helps me get through all that. So you can't change the weather but you can change your kitty litter. Make the switch like I did today. Go to prettylitter.com and use promo code FILMCAST for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, 
promo code FILMCAST. Thanks to Pretty Litter for sponsoring us today. I also had a chance to watch Bad Boys for Life. Of course. This is a massive hit. Keeping your brand some, strong, Dave. Which is yeah. not something I would have predicted. Uh, but yeah, it follows uh, Mike Lowry and Marcus Burnett, played by Will Smith and Martin Lawrence, teaming up again 17 years after the events of Bad Boys 2 uh, to you know ride or die one still alive last for one last job i mean it's kind of it is a little bit silly because the 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 dynamic is exactly the same where uh marcus burnett is a family man he's you know married and has kids Mm -hmm. and his kids are getting married and will smith is like a a bachelor who's like sleeping around playboy he's such a playboy and you know will smith is like 51 years old so it's like you really got (laughs) to settle down man it's like it felt to me like Really? Shouldn't you have been having this conversation like eight years ago? Anyway, um, uh, suffice to say, I thought Bad Boys for Life was completely fine. You know, it's it didn't offend me at all. It is kind of there's some like decent action scenes there, but the thing is, it's not directed by Michael Bay, um, and it's directed by Bilal Falah and Adil El Arbi, and the. Um, what you get with Michael Bay, and I, I covered this in a video review I did at my YouTube channel, uh, is Michael Bay is such a singular filmmaker. You know, he'll put stuff in movies that no one else would put in. If you think of Bad Boys 2, yeah. the reason that movie is still beloved, despite the film being morally reprehensible, in my opinion, <laughs> is that it has things like cadavers coming out of a truck yeah. and their heads popping off, and like uh, the scene where they're like throwing cars down the the freeway and they're bouncing around. It's, it looks amazing. And uh, uh, the scene where they're, they're taking out those guys in the bathroom and the, the camera like goes into a bullet yeah. hole and like does a 360 degree turn and goes back Don't through they a bullet just hole. destroy a whole shanty town. Yeah. They Haiti destroy a whole shanty town, like yeah. police story style. And you know, it's, it's just like, it's great. It's only a, a, a singular mind like Michael Bay could have, could have, thought of those things, thought they were good, executed those things. And Bad Boys for Life has none of that. Like, I'm not going to remember any of the scenes from Bad Boys for Life, you know? I do I do hear, Dave, I, I'm actually going to check this out in the matinee at some point, but here it sort of reckons with their sort of, like, recklessness, which seems wild to me. I wouldn't say that it seriously reckons with anything, in my opinion. <laughs> like, it, okay. it, it has, the, it has the, the patina of reckoning with things. You know, the, the thing is, there's moments when they're, like, pondering their, their, like, their life decisions and, and all the things. But, like, <laughs> ultimately, person? <laughs> at, at the end of the day, though, it, it's still going to be, like, a movie that heads towards, like, a big action-packed confrontation at the end, right? And, uh... That's just fundamentally at odds. You know, this is the thing we're going to talk about later in the show with our Little Woman review. This is like I'm, I'm saying, Bad Boys and Little Women have a ton in common, right? Which is that they're they're both movies that want to kind of grapple with the bigger themes that they introduce. In the case of Bad Boys, hey, we've lived these long lives where we've inflicted countless acts of violence upon many people, some innocent, and also wanting to deliver an action-packed thrill ride in the movie. <laughs> and that just makes her a very awkward juxtaposition. Also, like, in the time since Bad Boys 2, which, again, I must point out, uh, was released 17 years ago, that many movies have kind of, many franchises have kind of stepped up and, and taken the mantle of 
over-the-top action with hints of like family drama yeah. thrown in for a good when measure. Fast and Furious Fast exists, and Furious how can bad boys exist? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is, it, Fast and Furious is really the modern bad boys, right? E- even Mission Impossible, I'd argue, kind of... Uh, takes on that mantle. So mm. it, there were there were rumors of like a Fast and Furious like crossover at one point, which would be too expensive with Will Smith. But imagine that movie. That movie would rule. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think Bad Boys is just kind of like uh, mm-hmm. not not really a movie that has much of a place in in modern society. But at the same time, uh, completely innocuous. Like there's many uh, remakes, like uh, Men in Black International, for instance, that I found like to be almost outright offensive uh, in terms of how bland they were. And this movie is not a great movie. Bad Boys for Life is not a great movie, but I did not find it offensively bad. Mm-hmm. And it made a lot of money and there's probably going to be another Bad Boys. They, and, and didn't they greenlit uh, for already? Yeah, like and, and you know what? I'm, um, I would, you're, I would you're there. there I'm, not, I'm not excited to see it, but I would go see it and not feel terrible about it. So that's uh-huh. that's the best thing I can say about Bad Boys It's a life. shame they used the Bad Boys for Life title on this one. That's all That's all I'm saying. Like, come on, guys. I agree. Save it for number four. Save it for number four. Save it for number four. <laughs> Divinger Hardware, what have you been watching? Uh, to stay sane during CES, uh, I watched all of Mrs. Fletcher on HBO, and this is the new Tom Parada show uh, starring Katherine Hahn. It's about a mother whose son, a single mother, her son goes off to college in the first episode, and she's this kind of, she's an empty nester trying to discover herself uh, and just see what she wants out of life. And it's, there's a lot of like sexual discovery going on in the show. Like she discovers porn, I think for the very first time and things get a little wild. Um, I I really enjoy the show. I I like Catherine Hahn quite a bit and I like Tom Parada. I like Tom Parada specifically because of the leftovers and, you know, just how great of a series that was. And he wrote the, the original book for that. So I found the series to be really funny and entertaining. Like it's a it's a human look at people going through some serious issues. Like Catherine Hahn's character just has no sense of who she is. And her son, meanwhile, is like a straight up douchebag misogynist. And it's kind of uh, his story in college is sort of him being in a place where he is not just the top jock. He's not just like the guy who everybody loves. Like he is forced to confront the fact that he's kind of an empty vessel of a person. And the show is entirely about like these two characters trying to find themselves. And I think it's really uh, entertaining. So if you liked the last Catherine Hahn show, which was uh, I Love Dick, another show about sexual awakening in a way, um, I think you'd really enjoy this one. I think it's definitely worth a watch. All right. Uh, that is Mrs. Fletcher. It's streaming right now on HBO. What else have you been watching, Devendra? I did finally see Weathering With You, which is the new Makoto Shinkai movie. Uh, his follow-up to your name. This movie. Wait, uh, let's it just is, pause for a moment. Yeah. Jeff, did you ever have a chance to watch your name, the uh, anime yeah, movie? We reviewed it, didn't yeah. we? Yeah, oh, we reviewed okay, it. Yeah. Okay, okay. Just, I, 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 just remembering, and I think we all loved it. Am I right? About we loved that? it. Yeah, I yeah, don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I loved your name. I've loved a lot of his other films too. Uh, this one, I don't think is up to the like uh, epic heights of your name, but it's a really interesting film. It's about a high school runaway who escapes to Tokyo, kind of just like is a drifter and uh, finds this interesting family. He he gets, he falls in love with a girl who has the power to stop the world uh, from raining. Apparently in this movie, like um, Tokyo is facing just crazy weather and it is raining forever and ever. And she has the power to stop that. And it's about their relationship. This is a climate change movie. And it's kind of fascinating to see. This is a, 
you know, teenage romance set amidst climate change and dealing with the uh, outcomes of it and the consequences of it. And I find that part of it really fascinating. The actual romance is just fine. Um, it feels like very typical anime movie. Like there, there's a lot of J-pop. There's a lot of people running to each other, shouting their names. Like it's not, it's not as inventive as your name was, but I think it is a really beautiful movie to see on a big screen. And I think it goes places where people don't quite expect. And it kind of, it, it at least has like a very clear sense about the consequences of climate change that I didn't expect to see in a movie like this. So yeah, definitely interesting. Um, it is in a lot of theaters, um, I think for this week in the next couple of weeks. So check it out if you can. It's worth seeing on a big screen. All right, the good news is that uh, in a few years, every movie will be a climate change movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's just all they'll that's, make that's for great, some reason. That's, yeah. great, that's great news. It'll be that climate change romantic comedy, climate change heist movie, climate change action, climate change Marvel film. It's, it's a lot of water. Great. It just invo- all involves just, a lot of water. <laughs> it's yeah. all going to be the subtext really will be climate change. It's all going to be Waterworld. Uh, the future is just Waterworld sequels. It's the Waterworld cinematic universe. <laughs> I think it's that's all of the, Yeah dry world around here uh, Devendra anything else <laughs> one more thing one more thing uh, I want to bring up a uh, little America which is the new show by Kumail Nanjiani um, and uh, what is his wife's name I always forget Emily Emily Gordon, Emily, uh, Gordon, Emily Gordon. Yeah. okay yeah new show by uh, Kumail and Emily Gordon and it is it's a beautiful show, I think, about like the immigrant experience of America. And I've only seen the first episode, so I, I only have like the trailer also to base it off of. But the first episode is is just a really beautiful thing of like, um, I believe, like a young Indian immigrant child who is basically left to fend for, to, for himself after his parents get deported back to India and he has to manage their hotel. Like it is... It is a story of like very specific immigrant experiences, but I think shows how people, why people would kind of come from other countries and try to suffer through all the difficulties to try to make it in America and make a life here. Um, I found it really moving. It, it is kind of funny, but it's one of those, it's a bit of like this American life. Like they're funny, moving, realistic stories. Um, I think it's, it's a lot of fun at this point. So I'm really digging it. I'm hopefully going to finish it all up very soon. These are short episodes. They're only like 30 minutes. Um, I do feel like the subject matter here uh, probably could benefit from something longer. That's the only thing I'd say. Like these are big stories they're telling and it seems like there's not enough time, but I'm enjoying it so far. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I, if everything goes right, I will hopefully be interviewing one of the uh, writer directors of that show for Culturally Relevant. Uh, I'm nice. very much looking forward to checking out the show. I've heard great things. So the show's Little America on yeah. Apple it's TV. It's on Apple TV. Yeah. yeah. Apple TV Plus. Um, all right. Jeff Canada, what I understand you want? that's a prequel to Little Women. <laughs> no? Okay. Pretty rough. Uh, Pretty what rough. I've been watching <laughs> is. Uh, so. <sighs> The other night, sat down, said, "You know what, honey, let's watch something to uh, to talk about on the on the slash filmcast." I want to have some. I, for... I love it when you blindly bring your wife into something, Jeff, because I also know you will have very little idea of what's about to happen. But please go. <laughs> well, we'll see if the story lines up to your expectations. But you know, we sat down and we we're like, "Yeah, let's." I'm gonna I want to watch something new, something we can talk about for what what you've been watching on on the on the show. And so she's like, okay, well, what, what do you want to do? We popped around a few different things. Basically, it's us biding our time for a few days when Picard debuts because that's the next big show we want to start watching. But um, 
you know, I, all these things that I wanted to watch, but I, I don't know. Like, you know what? Let's try something new. We can have an opinion on. We can get a few episodes in, perhaps. So we loaded so, so, up. So the, the world old... is your oyster, right? You got yeah. like the the best dramas ever made. You could just mm. at your fingertips, yeah. right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. L- l- so, some of the best shows ever made. The great works of art, monuments to create, monuments yeah. to human have, creativity could could be at stuff your fingertips. You guys have recommended, yeah. you know, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So I booted up the old uh, the old Apple TV Plus, yeah. and we uh, scrolled over to uh, For All Mankind, which is uh, a show. That I've been really anticipating. I love the Ronald D. Moore. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my good friends from college is in the show, regular cast member of For All Mankind. Very excited. The premise has me very excited. What if, what if Russia won the space race, and what ramifications would that have? What would that mean? It's into it. Love it. Um, and about forty minutes into the first episode, which was well over an hour long. Uh, I think I think we had like 25, 30 minutes more to, to go. Looked over, wife is sound asleep, <laughs> and I went, "I'm not going to watch any more of this." <laughs> uh, <laughs> I will never know if this show gets awesome. I hope it does. I hear it does. Yeah. I wanted to. Boy, the first episode is real slow, real <laughs> slow. Um, I would. I, I mean, honestly. Listeners, if you're if you stuck with For All Mankind, I hear the second season is already happening. They're already filming it. Uh, if you stuck with it and you say it gets awesome, please let me know so I can maybe try again. But anyway, so what happened was the reason I told you that preamble yeah. is because uh, my wife was sound asleep uh, <laughs> on on me uh, and on the couch. And so what I did was uh, I, as I often do, I pushed pause on the show and I loaded up the old Twitter. I was just kind of browsing around, and I saw somebody tweet out, "Hey, this is amazing!" Uh, actually, it was It Me JP, friend who's been on my video game show. Uh, he's like, "I'm only 20 minutes into this, and it's amazing." So I click on it, and it was uh, it was the Hollywood Reporter Actor mm-hmm. Roundtable that they do every year for around the Academy Awards. Those are great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, over an hour, I loved it. It was incredible. What a weird grouping of individuals. You have <laughs> Jamie Foxx, Tom Hanks, Robert De Niro, Adam Driver, and, uh, um, why's my brain not working? Uh, oh my God. It begins Sh- with Shia LaBeouf. Shia, Shia LaBeouf. And Shia LaBeouf. And Shia's like, uh, I'm here guys. I'm here. I think, yes. I, I think that, I think I got all of them. Uh, what a weird eclectic group of of actors talking, and it's such an interesting thing because you see lots of interviews with actors, and oftentimes those interviews are quite good, revealing, interesting. They tell you insightful tidbits, but when you see a group of very very high caliber, very successful sort of top tier actors among their peers, the caliber of the discussion changes the tenor of this discussion changes i did not think the host the hollywood reporter fella uh gave particularly great questions but it didn't really matter because they started riffing off of each other and it was really about them sharing things between each other and clearly the respect level among all of them was very high and all of them are sort of basking in the glow of de niro 
it was pretty interesting and, and it got into some interesting places and they talk about the craft. Uh, I came away from that. I mean, I was already a big fan, but I came away from that with such a huge admiration for Adam driver. That dude is whip smart, mm-hmm. insightful, uh, measured. His approach to the craft is so interesting. I mean, he goes on this interesting, um, uh, riff about how it doesn't matter what I'm feeling. I, it, nobody paid their money to watch me feel something. They paid their money to feel something themselves. I am a vessel for them to feel. It doesn't matter if I'm feeling or not. And I just, I'm, that's what I've always believed about the craft of acting. It, it was great. So I highly recommend Yeah. if you're curious uh, about any of these people, find any of those people interesting. I, th- I thought Shia LaBeouf, even though I couldn't remember his name, I thought Shia LaBeouf was was uh, quite interesting to hear from as well. It, it was such an interesting grouping. Uh, one you would not, I don't think you'd pick those those people out to pluck them into a place, but it, they, it worked. It worked, yeah. and I, I found it fascinating. Those things make great like podcast-like experiences, basically. You just put on and listen to those conversations. But if you like that, Jeff, I'd also recommend the, uh, the variety actors on actors thing. Yes, I have watched yeah. that many yeah. times. They have uh, an Adam Driver and Charlie's Theron one that is, looks really not, good, too. not seen that one, but I have watched many, many of those. Uh, yeah, th- this, I think, would work as a, as a podcast. I watched the video version, and I found it interesting just because it's, it's interestingly shot. They have a lot of cameras in that room. And you're often getting reactions, uh, interesting reactions from people not talking, which I found uh, like there's a there are a few moments where Tom Hanks is <laughs> agreeing or disagreeing with things non-verbally that I found pretty interesting. It's it, it's really cool. So um, salvaged my evening of viewing uh, by watching this on my phone as my wife dozed on my shoulder. Well, that is the uh, Actors Roundtable with The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, and it's available on YouTube, I believe. So you can just check that out right now. I'm and sure another there's a fine one Jeff and wife movie choice, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Like, it really, yeah. really works out too well. Uh, let's thank our next sponsor, Lightstream. Jeff, you want to tell us about Lightstream? Yeah, you know, it's a new year and the holidays just happened. You may have uh, got a balance on your credit card. I don't like carrying any balance on my credit cards because they almost always have really terrible interest rates. You're talking like over 20% APR on credit cards. You can't live like that. You can't. You got to get out from under that kind of debt, that carrying that kind of debt, credit card balance, you got to get out from under it. Lightstream is one way to do that. You can pay off your credit card balances with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream that could save you thousands in interest. They're much lower APRs than some of these average credit card carry with them. You can get a fixed rate from as low as 5.95% APR with auto pay. And Lightstream loans have no fees. There's no application fees, no origination fees, no transaction fees, no prepayment penalties. And the online application is quick and easy. You can apply right from your phone. Plus, you can get your money as soon as the day you apply. Lightstream believes that when you have good credit, you deserve a low rate and great service. And that's exactly what they deliver. So just for Slash Filmcast listeners, if you apply now, you can get an additional interest rate discount. And the only way to get that discount is to go to lightstream.com slash filmcast. That's lightstream.com slash filmcast for an additional discount. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash filmcast. F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, all one word. 
Subject to credit approval, rate includes a 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash filmcast for more information. Let's move on. Uh, I want to thank the people who donated to the podcast this week. Uh, thanks to new subscriber at the rate of $2 per month, Sam Veltri, and also to donors, uh, Rafa Solano, a host of the Facile de Complacé podcast uh, from Costa Rica, Nico from Vienna, Australia, Robert Schlemmer, and Richard Trier from Derby U uh, United Kingdom, who writes in, quote, first, thanks for all the great episodes uh, down the years. Thought it was high time I gave a bit back and donated for the first time. If you can find time in a future episode, I'd love to hear you guys play a few quick rounds of a movie parlor game I was introduced to over Christmas. To play, all you need is access to Rotten Tomatoes. The rules are as follows. Pick a movie category. Then each player has to name a movie in that category. And once all players have picked, uh, you check their Rotten Tomatoes scores to see which one has the lowest one. Whoever gets the lowest score wins a point. Here are three categories for you to have a go at. So, gentlemen, let's just uh, let's give this a quick shot, shall we? Let's, let's so we're trying to find the worst-rated movie in these categories. Correct. Okay. The Correct. worst rated. Worst rated. Let's just do, like, one or two of these, okay? Yeah, okay. Film titles with a color in the title. Film mm. colors with a color in the title. The worst movie that has a color in the title. All right. Jeff, can I, whichever one of you can come up with it, feel free to just oh, shout out. Just, just name uh, anything that you can... Red name. Dawn? Red Dawn. Okay, which That's one? That's a good one. That's which good one, one, though? Yeah. Which one, though? So the the latest one. The, the, <laughs> the most recent one. The, the deepest into the series that they get. So I don't know how many they made. <laughs> Devendra, how about you? Yeah, right. I don't have anything that could be... Yeah, I, I would go with Red Dawn, too. I can't think of anything. Uh, I mean, okay, here, here are movies that come to mind. Okay, but they're all like good ones, right? Yeah, color yeah, that's purple. the thing. Yeah. Like, I, I can't remember <laughs> yeah, the like, bad movies. Color purple. There's like at some point you just have to name a movie, right? So like, yeah, yeah. there's like blue, color blue velvet's gonna be high. It's you know, <laughs> uh, uh, I was thinking what, like what about blue Valentine, but I really love that movie as well. Right? Yeah, everyone loved it. The uh, uh, the three what colors about the blue trilogy. Room? Uh, what about blue room? Blue room. I don't even know. That okay, so anyway, popular. look, my my movie is blue Valentine. Okay, even though I love that movie, sure, sure. but it's the only one I can think of. So, uh, so I have Red Dawn. I have Red Dawn too. Devendra, you you have Red Dawn. <laughs> you can't you can't choose the same movie, but Devendra, just throw throw out a movie out there. Throw throw a movie out there that has a color, even if it's a good one. Uh, sure. Blue is the warmest color. Blue, blue is the warmest color. Okay, blue is the warmest color. Currently has uh. A 89% on Rotten Tomatoes, doing pretty badly so far. I win! Uh, <laughs> Blue Valentine, 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, okay. getting a little better. Red Dawn, the 2012 movie, 14% on Rotten yes! Tomatoes. Yes! Jeff completely yeah. annihilated us at the, game, <laughs> at the game. That is a fun game. That is a fun game. It's hard. It's hard to think of some of these movies. Yeah, because you, you immediately think of good movies. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, let's just do one more. Let's just do one more. Movie starring Tom Hanks. Okay, this will be an easy one. Oh, yeah, this will be good. Okay, so go, go and you, What's you know. the worst movie starring Tom Polar Hanks? Express. Polar Express. Okay, uh, Devendra's going with Polar Express. I'm going to go with The Terminal. The ter I'm going to go with Angels and Demons. Ooh. Oh, dang. D Jeff, man. Okay, Angels and Demons uh, starring Tom Hanks. That's a 2009 movie. That movie currently has a 36% on 
home run. Pretty solid. The terminal uh, has a 61%. Yeah, it was well liked. And then what was the one you chose? I chose Polar Express. It's Polar... 56 right now. 56%. Okay, so that was a lot closer. That was a lot yeah. closer. Polar Express is a pretty good pull, I think. I think yeah. That's a pretty yeah, good yeah, pull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, fun game. Thank you for that suggestion, Richard. We will have to try it again at some point. Yeah, uh, got to do yeah. that periodically. That's fun, especially because yeah, I win. <laughs> Jeff, your knowledge of terrible films uh, is un- unrivaled on the side. Honestly, I'm surprising even myself because I figured I, would, <laughs> I thought you guys would trounce me. Mm. Indeed. Uh, me too, Jeff. Me too. All right. So uh, <laughs> if you want to donate to the podcast, you can always go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. Uh, and uh, if you don't want to donate, you don't have the cash or it's a hardship for you, just go to the Apple podcast listing. Leave a review for us. That's free. And it does help us quite a lot. Thanks to everyone who donated. And thanks to all who are leaving reviews for us. We really appreciate you. Let's get to our review of Little Woman. I'm working on a novel. It is a story of my life and my sister's. Make it short and spicy. And if the main character is a girl, make sure she's married by the end. Ow, Joe! I want to be an artist in Rome and be the best painter in the world. That's what you want too, isn't it, Joe? To be a famous writer? Yes, but it sounds so crass when she says it. My girls have a way of getting into mischief. Well, so do I. This is Meg, Amy, Beth, and Joe. I intend to make my own way in the world. No one makes their own way. Least of all a woman. You'll need to marry well. You are not married, aren't you? Well, that's because I'm rich. Joe, would you like to dance with me? I can't because I scorched my dress. And Meg told me to keep still so no one would see it. I have an idea of how we can manage. Joe is a lost cause. So you are your family's hope now. I believe we have some power over who we love. It isn't something that just happens to a person. I think the poets might disagree. That was from the trailer of Greta Gerwig's Little Women. I'm going to read the plot summary of this movie from IMDb. Joe March reflects back and forth on her life, telling the beloved story of the March sisters, four young women, each determined to live life on their own terms. Joining us today for our review of Little Woman, she is a film critic at Seattle Screen Scene. Melissa Tomingo, welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. How are you doing tonight, Melissa? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me again. It is great to have you on to discuss this movie. And before we discuss this movie, uh, we should just point out that the the book on which this movie is based is uh, about 150 years old. And so it's pretty old. Yeah. You, you as a <laughs> listener should assume that we will be spoiling. Uh, plot points about the book and as well as uh, specific decisions made in the film right at the top. Now, we're going to try to talk about the movie in chronological order, but just so we don't need to like talk around things and because this book has been out there for so long, we're just going to say like right at the top, you should assume there's going to be spoilers um, so we don't need to have like a separate spoiler section today. So just uh, beware. If you have not been exposed to the story of Little Women ever before, uh, you may want to see the film first or read the book first uh, or both before you listen to this review. All that being said, Melissa, can you tell us about your relationship to this story uh, and kind of the feelings you had going into this film and then coming out of it? Yeah, so I 
I do have a history with this this the story. Uh, I read the book uh, pretty young. I was probably junior high, high school, and then it was one of those books that I returned returned to and reread um, over the years. I, again, probably later in high school, and then reread it again in college. And then um, I did watch at least um, two of the adaptations. Certainly, the the 1994. Uh, Jillian Armstrong adaptation of it, which I have always had um, a lot of affection for. And I did at some point see the Katherine Hepburn, a George Cukor version of the film as well. And I remember thinking that Katherine Hepburn was perfect for um, Joe. So so this is a story um, and a kind of some film adaptations that I do have quite a bit of affection to and it and it for, and it does feel like in some way it, it connects quite strongly to my childhood and my relationship with books and stories um, and thinking about characters that I loved. Um, Joe, of course, was a character that I absolutely loved. Um, so it was interesting going into this movie, having kind of that history um, and feeling a little bit of trepidation in thinking about how is, you know, Greta Gerwig going to adapt this story that's quite beloved um, to me and I have quite a bit of nostalgia um, for. And, and I do think one of the traps of just adapting a beloved story, especially one that has been well adapted, like the 1994 version, I think is really um, well done, is simply how to make a film that satisfies fans of the original story as well as a, a previous adaptation, you know, giving key characters and scenes and even lines that you might want or expect, but then also bringing something sort of fresh to it or uh, like a tangible reason for making a new film. And uh, coming out of it, I do think that Greta Gerwig has, she's done that. I think she's given us a story that is quite fully the tale of, of Little Women in terms of how fans of the book and of the previous films know it, but also has given us something fresh too, I think, to make us love the original material maybe even more and kind of draw out what's interesting about it um, or lovable about it, but also to make us maybe see new things um, in it. And I think particularly her, what she does with the chronology of the the plot of the film, not moving in strictly chronological order. The book moves kind of the, the girls grow up, ba basically, um, and you're just following them as they grow. But of course, she is um, flips around from the present to the past um, in, throughout the entire film, even starting sort of at a much later point in the chronology um, in, in the beginning of this film. And I do think that new chronology is, is really what ties to, I think, what's most fresh and interesting about the this adaptation, in part because the new chronology, I think, emphasizes themes and ideas within the story we wouldn't necessarily have seen otherwise, making really interesting imagistic parallels, um, particularly between the past and the present, present, and then parallels between characters that I think you wouldn't necessarily see in a straight chronological presentation. And I also think that she solved, I don't know if she solved it, but she, she took on the problem, <laughs> the story problem that I had, and I think many readers have had with the story. And I've talked to my daughters about this. They're both my 16 and 18 year old. They've like little women, but they've always had an issue with the fact that Lori and Joe do not end up together um, because you love Lori and you love Joe and you want them to be together. And then the story kind of fails you um, in, in that regard. And so I think Gerwig, um, the way that she sets up the chronology of this, she basically shows you um, 
Joe and um, Frederick um, in the beginning of the movie. And then she next, she next cuts to Amy and Lori. So right away, you're almost anticipating these two couples being together. Mm. Um, and, and so I think the chronology of that is really helpful in, in setting you up for what is going to come. Um, and then I think even maybe more significantly too, apart from just the relationships, the changed chronology makes Joe's writing sort of the focus of the film. And I think that's a really, it, that's always really important to the story, but I think the centrality of that um, brings out something fresh. And it, and I think it ties then to something personal about Greta Gerwig as a director, which I really like because it feels like fully the little women's story, but it's also maybe about women doing writing and directing, which, which feels quite um, relevant and present and um, even urgent, I think, in for a, a film today. So I did really, really like this movie and we went as a whole family and my my girls loved it. They said it's the best adaptation and they're still not totally reconciled to Joe and Lori not being together, but, <laughs> but they still really like this movie a lot. And, and I do as well for I, all I, of those reasons. I just want to clarify a couple things real quick. So uh, the 1994 Little Woman directed by Gillian Armstrong was told uh, in chronological order, basically, right? Yes. Whereas yep, the new Little Woman by Greta Gerwig, I, like, I cuts think so. Back. Yeah, I think so. It cuts back. That's my memory of it. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) Whereas the new one cuts back and forth between past and present and kind of allows for these very interesting juxtapositions. And I think it's really interesting, too, pointing out that the movie begins with Joe kind of later on in her life about to submit uh, a story to uh, Mr. Dashwood. And like if you had started er like if you started the story earlier in her life uh, that the the whole theme of this being about her writing and her book and her appreciating mm-hmm. her own stories might not have come out as much. So it like, starts with like a climax. Exactly. Scene, basically. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It starts with a climax, and it's a brilliant kind of opening, like literally framing device, where she's standing yes. in this doorway, kind of about to to go into this room full of men to like submit this story and yeah. uh, for their approval, and she's kind yeah. of psyching herself up uh, and. It, it, like very much I, f- I felt like this is kind of like Greta Gerwig herself kind of uh, yeah. su- you know submitting her rendition of this story to the world to see as well um, mm-hmm. I felt like a parallel there with that that character but uh, let me just ask one quick question before I, I go to Devendra which is like uh, were there any weaknesses in previous renditions uh, of this story that you were hoping would be corrected in this new one like, were, like I, I think a lot of people have talked about how uh, Amy's story in yeah. like the previous film uh, was given like she, she has always been rendered kind of as a brat and that this yeah. is the movie that finally gives Amy her due. And I'm curious if you felt that way going in and if you felt like this movie actually does that. I, I think I've always kind of liked Amy, but it, the, the problem came for me when there's sort of this abrupt switch into Amy's adulthood. And then we're just supposed to, think, oh, wait, now she and Lori have this sudden connection. And so it always felt very strange to me that suddenly we knew Amy as this kind of vivacious little girl who was very opinionated, but then she turns into this kind of, this woman character that falls in love with Lori. And it it sort of comes out of nowhere. And in the 1994 version of the film, um, it's actually a different actress that's used for the older Amy. So it even feels kind of more alienating. Like, I don't even know who this person is um, anymore. So I think um, 
this film does it gives us more of Amy um, from the very beginning, kind of hinting towards actually really liking Lori. I mean, several times she you see her looking at him and she introduces herself, I'm Amy, and almost like a hint to to, hint to us and to the audience um, that that she is already from the very beginning she is interested in Lori. And so when this the it comes at the end, it's not really it doesn't feel like a a sudden shift that she's suddenly interested in this person um, in a different way. You kind of always know that's who that's who she was. And I think Gerwig does a really great job of um, setting setting that up and making making her character arc feel more, I think, organic. And then I I know that some people have had a problem with um, Florence Pugh as the sort of younger Amy, but I really like the cohesiveness of the mm-hmm. same actor, um, it, both both a younger Amy and an and an older Amy. Um, even though you get like really young Kirsten Dunst um, as the the younger Amy in um, the 1984 version, which she's great, but then you could of course never have this young girl playing the older part. So I really like that Gerwig made a kind of a bold choice to have the same actor play um, Amy and then have that cohesion, I guess, in her, her character. Yeah. It's really interesting to reflect on like how all these little decisions can make a big impact when you're making an adaptation like this. You know, you wouldn't yeah. think about, like, like, you wouldn't necessarily think that, like, you know, cutting back and forth would, would have such big thematic resonance, but, uh, or maybe you would, but I mean, I wouldn't. And uh, it certainly does in this movie. I want to hear what the rest of you have to th- say about Little Woman, but before we do that, we got to thank our sponsor for today, Quip. Jeff, tell us about Quip. Oh, I'm so excited to tell you about Quip. Uh, honestly, it's it's weird thing to say, that a toothbrush has changed your life, but <laughs> I'm not exaggerating to say a toothbrush changed my life. Uh, I, I love, we are now a three quip household and that is no, no, no joke, no exaggeration. Uh, I love quip. I got one for my wife, got one for my son. And the reason I love quip is because it actually makes my life better. It actually makes my life easier. I have fewer things to think about. It's amazing. You're talking about little things adding up to, to big things. That's how I feel about not having to think about brushing my teeth. I have to admit, I'm one of the 90% of people that doesn't brush or didn't before Quip brush for the dentist recommended two minutes. Now I do every single time. Why? Because the wonderful Quip vibrating toothbrush pulses every 30 seconds and then turns itself off after two minutes. So I don't have to think about it. I just start brushing. Uh, and after 30 seconds, it pulses and I go to a different quadrant of my mouth because I'm that weird, but you don't have to do it that way. But then after two <laughs> minutes, it turns itself off and I, I know I'm done and I just keep going until it turns itself off. It's so great. Plus, I'm also one of those terrible people that uh, would use a toothbrush for years at a time. And it would be to the point where it was doing no good for me because the bristles were a complete mess. But with Quip, I have a delivery every three months, as is dentist recommended. I get a new bristles, new head of the uh, of the toothbrush, new packet of toothpaste. It's cool. The packaging is awesome. It comes with these uh, slick little instructions that tell you just pop off the old one, pop on the new one. It's got a battery replacement in the bag. It's amazing. It's got an awesome stand thing that keeps it up off the counter. I can just press it against my mirror. I love the, the Quip. We have three in my house, and I, I'm telling you, it has improved my life. So if you want 
to improve your life, have a better brushing experience, better oral hygiene, and do what dentists recommend, but the easy way. You can go to getquip.com slash filmcast right now. You'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash filmcast. That's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash filmcast. F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, all one word, Quip, the good habits company. Let's move on. Devendra Hardawar. What are your thoughts on Little Women? Yeah, I talked about it a bit in our uh, top 10 episode for 2019. And... I was surprised by how much I loved this movie because I had absolutely no experience with the book or the previous films. I don't, I don't know what I was doing in high school. Uh, <laughs> they never assigned this to me. I went to a weird magnet school too. So I got, they, they were really into Edith Wharton and not so much little women. So I, I really know Ethan Frome and that book means a lot to me, but not so much little women. So I have absorbed a lot about this story and people have talked with me about it, like related other characters to like, oh, this person is very much like little, uh, like Amy in Little Women or something. So like, I feel like I've absorbed so much of the story just by sheer osmosis. So it is funny, like watching this, I could almost map out the entire thing just based on the knowledge I already have. But I was astounded by the framing of this movie. Like Greta Gerwig just makes this movie so modern and alive. It doesn't feel like an adaptation of a 150 year old book. It feels like, you know, a very modern screenplay. And it's not, I don't think it's like super anachronistic. It's not like the way Dickinson, the TV show is trying to like really have a modern flair and everything. It's more like it is looking at this older story through a modern lens. So I feel like the conversations they're having and Amy is a character in particular, like I've a lot of folks have talked to me about like how much they dislike how Amy is portrayed in the book and in the other, you know, in the actual other films. And I love the depth to her character. I love that. First of all, I love that it's Florence Pugh playing her uh, because she is shaping up to be like one of the best actors of her generation. Like she is tremendous, both as the young Amy, where I, I think the only downside there is that her voice is a little husky and a little deep, but that's just her voice. Uh, somebody I saw on Twitter, like somebody released a video of her singing something at 13. And it, is, it sounds just like Florence Pugh does today. So that is just her, unfortunately. Uh, but I, I love her voice. I love her performance. And she brings so much depth to that character. Like, honestly, I came out of this movie really into her character and really understanding her you know, position in life and how she's trying to manage it. And what I find fascinating is that this movie does this for pretty much every single character. You kind of know what um, what Joe is dealing with and like how she perceives life and the struggles she's dealing with. But you kind of get this for every sister, too. So like Meg and her being in a pretty like, you know, being in a pretty traditional marriage and dealing with family life, dealing with kids and not having as much money, you know, as maybe her, the rest of her family does, or just kind of living a life that's very, very poor, but making do with it. And then, you know, also um, even a bit of Beth and what she wants out of life and, I wish the movie could have done more with her because she is basically the character that exists to die in the story. <laughs> yeah. But I, yeah, like that, that's it. We know that. Um, but her relationship with, uh, the neighbor, um, her piano playing, like there's something tragic about her character, but also her confronting death, like their conversations on the beach, on the beach, even their mother, even, uh, Marmy, which is a great name. 
<laughs> I feel like gets a bit of depth to her. Like the idea that, you know, she is not just some saint. She's not just some perfect, you know, mother figure. Like she is somebody who's also, I don't know, angry all the time. You know, she gave us a bit of incredible Hulk there. So <laughs> I love that there's so much depth to this story. And yeah, you can really relate to all these characters. I will say um, the way the story is framed, I can... I can understand why in the book people are very disappointed that, you know, uh, Joe and Lori didn't get together. But I feel like this movie at least gives us yeah, a very good argument for why she may want somebody who challenges her a bit more than the, you know, beautiful neighbor boy who has been in love with her forever. <laughs> I think like there's something there and you can understand. Well, you it. put it like that. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound super. Appealing. Uh, Jeff Kanata. Gotta ask you, what was your experience with Little Women going into this film? Well, Dave, <laughs> I guess you could say my experience with Little Women is best summed up in the form of a limerick. Fascinating. <laughs> I have neither read the novel nor seen the movie from 1994. So I can say for me, definitively, this is the version of the story I adore. Nice. Very, okay. very, very cute, Jeff. <laughs> Thank you. I am right there with Devendra. Uh, never. I don't know how I managed to get through both high school and college without reading this book. I also, it's even more shameful for me because for multiple years of my life, quite a lot of years of my life, I was in a long-term relationship with a girl who was named Amy Joe. <laughs> after characters in this book. Wow. Okay. That was that okay. was she was named after this book. <laughs> so you'd think there would have been a time that I would have sat down and read the book, but uh somehow I didn't. Um and I uh, I wish I had because I I, I think the story is delightful and I, I love this movie. I I adore this movie. It is um it's exquisite and I I I suspect that I wouldn't have loved the 94 version like I love this. I don't know. I haven't seen that movie. But so much of what I love about this movie are the things that you guys have highlighted as being new to the tale, new to this take, mm -hmm. i.e. the chronology. I I think I'm in, I am enraptured with movies that are about time, right? Time is the great villain of humanity, right? It is, it is the great villain of art. Uh, it, it, the, the, the wonderful quote that I always uh, mentioned from John Barton, the, the old hard-hearted arbitrator time. I, I am fascinated with movies that put time under a microscope, and this movie does that. It is about time and what time does to us, to our families, to our relationships with one another, to our goals and our ability to uh, to dream and the, the way our lives are a result of our dreams and are a reflection of our dreams, but also show how dreams evolve and change and are abandoned. Um, and the way this movie dips into different time periods, instead of just showing it from a chronological start and finish really makes that hit home. You know, when you see Beth, die and then the next scene you see joe staring out the window to a living beth that hit me like a ton of bricks like the, oh we are back in time she has no idea what's coming right this that's how we live our lives is not knowing what 
what is coming around the corner. And, but, but we, as the audience know, and so we feel that sense of how life is mercurial and, and unexpected. And I, I just, I found all that so beautifully expressed and so wonderful and oftentimes not really knowing exactly where I was in the story because I wasn't familiar with the story, not knowing exactly where I was in the chronology until the scene had progressed a bit and then going, oh, you know, context clues like the length of hair on characters, the way this movie uses seasons and place, the way it creates place. I'm so in love with that in movies too. And when a, when a movie creates a sense of place where I want to go there, you know, this movie has what there's these wonderful tracking shots of the girls just walking down the street and you see these, these buildings that change over time. There's one in particular that starts all like with a sign that has been taken down. You just see the outlines of where a sign used to be. And then later it is, it's got a, a placeholder sign over it where it's a new, new building, a new business. Uh, and sometimes they're walking down that street in snow and other times they're walking down that street with beautiful autumnal leaves everywhere. It, it creates this sense of place and, and, and time passing that I found completely mesmerizing and, and, uh, transportive, right? I, I felt like I, I was wrapped up in this, the, the ribbon of this life as it wove back and forth through time. And I, I thought that was great. The performances are all wonderful, but the, the structure of the movie to me was really the greatest part. And so I wonder if I had been more familiar with this story, how I would have felt if I'd had different expectations and if it would have defied those, but not having any expectations. I honestly didn't even really know the broad beats of this story. I, I was completely in the dark um, going in. So I'm delighted that I now know the story of Little Women, uh, <laughs> you know, much past the point at which I should have. But also that this movie was so uh, entertaining and um, beautiful. I mean, it's a, it's a gorgeous movie uh, on many levels. I really loved it. So I'm in the same place as Jeff when it comes to the level of knowledge I had before uh, I saw this movie. And I think the moment when I knew... So the three dudes, I guess. The three dudes. <laughs> yep. huh. Proving everything. that means something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, the, uh, the moment when I knew this movie had its hooks in me was... Uh, so l let's just start by saying, agreed with everything Devendra said about Florence Pugh. I mean, uh, she's already worked with some of the great directors uh, uh, of our time and she's uh, gonna be in a blockbuster film this year uh, Black Widow right uh, and so like that's gonna further catapult her into the limelight I think uh, she's super like enormously talented and uh, the character of Amy I feel is uh, an amazing one I mean she gives that whole speech about the economic value of marriage that feels like it's it, you know, is it's a sentiment from uh, over a century ago, but it feels like it, it, it's a completely sensible and logical thing for someone to say today. Uh, obviously, in a different context today, but still, like she's this is clearly a character who is uh, intent on her own self determination and self actualization, and uh, I think Florence Pugh plays her wonderfully. Mm -hmm. But I was filled with rage at the moment when she burns Joe's book. Like, there's no coming back from that. 
Like when she's when she burns you, I'm just like, there's no way. Like fuck this person. Like there's no way I can never forgive what she does uh, with Joe. Like, like I, I'm just like I can't imagine the level of evil it would take for someone to. You know, and this is a sentiment that I've seen online too. There's like some people feel like once Amy burns that book, like there's no coming back for that character. Uh, but I'm curious what y'all feel. You know, like uh, she doesn't realize to her. I mean, she literally says, yeah. "I yeah. couldn't burn your dresses, so this is the only thing you care about." She didn't. She has no yeah. concept of of what it took to make that book. To me, that makes you know? that makes it worse. What you just said, you know, like well, she's, she's also like, she's twelve she's, or thirteen at the time, too, right. right? Like it's she's a transgression of ignorance. <laughs> yeah. You know, it is yeah. not a transgression of malice. Yeah. I guess. I guess. And, and I mean, that's maybe one drawback of having an older actor right. in that part is just that when you see the little Kirsten Dunst, you're like, she's really just a kid. She doesn't get it. Um, but here, it you almost feel like she should know. Better right. and maybe it's harder to reconcile. Florence Pugh is in her twenties and she's playing, I think, a twelve-year-old in that scene, right? So it's like, yeah, it's it's tough to to kind of separate the notion that like, oh, this is actually just a child who doesn't know any better. Um, but even still, I mean, as a kid, I don't think I could ever <laughs> do that to someone, nor forgive someone who did that to another person. But anyway, uh, but yeah, I, I had such a strong reaction to that. You know, and I, I realized at that moment that like, wow, I deeply care about every single one of these characters and, and their eventual fate. Um, mm. So I uh, echo everything y'all said about this movie. I, I really enjoyed it. I loved the way it bounced around it <laughs> in terms of the chronology. But uh, for me, the MVP of this movie, right, is Saoirse Ronan as the character of Joe. Um she's just kind of trying to make her way in this world that's telling her like she's doing the wrong thing and she's like, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I think there's a, a reason that many people who read this book um, find her to be the most relatable and to be the character to root for the most. Um, and of course, we will get to the ending uh, and what that means. But I, I really uh, just just loved that character and thought it was beautifully played. I mean, I think the the two critical scenes with Joe March that I can think of are number one, when she uh, rejects Laurie and which by the way, also excruciating to watch because you know, you really want these two characters <laughs> yeah. to be together, you know? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then she kind of gives this monologue, I think uh, towards the end of the movie about, uh, I I'm not even going to try to replicate it, you know, but it's, it's about basically like how um, women should have the ability to, uh, to set like create their own destiny, but at the same time, she's incredibly lonely, and that there's mm -hmm. this kind of tension of in in the society that she lives in, at least this tension between um, being a married woman and falling in love, and you know having a career, um, and it, like being a writer, being successful, and and like those things seem like if I'm reading it correctly, those seems those things seem to be in tension in her situation. Uh, mm -hmm. and she kind of heartbreakingly brings that to light in that monologue. And so I just thought uh, that was just a magnificent performance and uh, I think it's well worth the Academy Award nomination she got. Um, but yeah, Melissa, what did you think of this character, uh, this version of Joe March? Yeah, I, I mean, I really loved um, that aspect of the character too, that I thought that Greta Gerwig uh, just really deepened the kind of um, dilemma there um, for Joe wanting to kind of have it all to be, to, to write and write what she wants to write, but 
kind of finding herself when the, within the structure, um, both of her kind of family situation in terms of their relative wealth or lack of wealth. Right. Um, and then, but then also, of course, bringing her art to these sort of male gatekeepers as it, as it were. Um, and this, the certain, um, structures that she has to kind of fall into and then sort of realizing that she, uh, perhaps she cannot have the freedom to write what she wants to write unless she makes compromises in other ways, perhaps personally, you know, just giving in and marrying or within her art, okay, I'm just going to have to write what this male gatekeeper says is what will sell and what he will, he will take from me. So, and I, and I thought that that really was teased out really beautifully. And it, it, and it's a really nice parallel, I think, with Amy when she talks about marriage as an economic proposition, because sort of what Amy's, um, what Amy is talking about there really parallels, I think, Joe's, um, her dilemma as well. And so it sort of enriches, I think, both of, of what they're saying and both of their characters. Um, and, and that's another kind of chronological kind of thing, the, the editing and the way that uh, Gerwig matches those kinds of things that I think, again, deepen um, Joe's central kind of dilemma as well as Amy's and making us care sort of about bo both of them. Because Amy is also kind of thinking about art too. And she doesn't, you know, she wants to be also great. And if she can't be great, then she's, she's not going to try. And I think Joe has the same, the same thing that she's trying for greatness, but she's sort of trying to navigate again, pretty clearly. Like what, what does greatness even mean? You know, is, is greatness what I decide it is? Is it greatness? What Frederick decides it is? Is it what this publisher decides it is? Um, and so I, I thought that was just really beautifully, um, woven kind of throughout, throughout the, the, the film. Let's talk about that ending, you know, speaking of what the publisher thinks about what greatness is. Yeah. I think there's been a lot of discussion online. This is like, if you had told me a few months ago that I'd be spending like hours reading fan <laughs> theories about like how little, the little woman ending, I would not have believed you, but it's just like, wow, this is like a very much like an inception style ending where mm -hmm. it's not clear exactly what has occurred. And, uh, it was amazing it, though when when she she says You're, what's your name and she goes Joe and she goes Joe what and she says Joe <laughs> Skywalker, Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> there's been so yeah but there's been many articles I've read many of them about uh, what actually is happening in the final sequences uh, of this movie mm -hmm. and you see Joe basically go to uh, Mr Dashwood uh, and present her book. Uh, and th that's happening at the same time as you're seeing yeah. her meeting with Friedrich. Like it's cutting kind of back and forth between these two things. And they're arguing about whether uh, she should marry the guy in the story that she's writing, which presumably is based on her actual life. Uh, and, you know, Mr. Dashwood obviously wants her to marry. And she's like, no, I don't want to do it. And then so uh, she kind of makes a compromise with him. Is like, you know, give me like, give me this percentage, give me this amount of uh, money and you'll get the ending that you want. And she kind of uh, uh, relents and makes the ending that uh, Mr. Dashwood wants. And then we see that ending then play out in the reality of the film. The question for you all is, do you think the ending we see in the movie, right, which is uh, 
Joe March getting together with uh, Friedrich, right? Like, and they they all they go to that school, and everyone's super happy, and it's super idyllic and charming. Is that, in your opinion, what actually happened, or is it just the rewritten ending in her book? Melissa, opinion on this? I think the answer to that is yes. <laughs> 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 I mean, I think it's it's bold that she is purposely leaving us in this tension. And I know kind of like the inception, the end in some ending of inception, you want to know, like, is it going to fall or not? But I think the whole point is we're, we're sort of left in, in the tension of that story. And it's, it's or those two kind of paths. And, um, the, the film is kind of, uh, about that. I mean, it's about us as, um, readers or as a, people who are expecting certain things for a story and then the navigating that a writer um, has to do to present the story to us. Cause I, because I think there is something interesting. So if she had gone with the ending that Joe wanted um, as it were, and, and the film then had ended with Joe alone, which actually in the way that Louisa May Alcott herself ended, she never married um, anyone. And I think in some way- you mean her actual life, not the book. Her actual life. Yeah. Yes, her actual life. Um, I think that probably audiences would be disappointed with that. I mean, I think on mm -hmm. some level, audiences want Joe to be married off. So there's a real kind of, I think, tension there that we're supposed to think about that perhaps the reality is no, she never would have gotten married, but we actually do kind of want the ending too. So we want to have the what the writer's reality would have been, but we also want to have the happy ending. <laughs> we kind of right. we kind of want both things. Um, in, in a way, it's very much a have your cake and eat it too scenario. But I think, I think right? I, th I think yeah. I think what Melissa's saying is that's the that's the point, right? Is yes. at least that's how I took it. I think it's much more explicit than that. I don't think it's it's even just that it's tension. Like I think that it, you're absolutely right, Melissa. From my perspective, the tension is is intentional, but it's also yeah. It, but I think it, it that is pointing to you, the audience, and going. Yes. This is what you want. This is yeah. what you need. Are you not this is what you Are you yeah. not yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. you absolutely like, like you are this guy. You are this dude in this office who demands these things of us. Yeah. And yeah. you want your happy ending so badly. Well, here it is. But that's yeah. not really how life works. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the it thing is, is in, in my head canon. Uh, she doesn't get together with him. And I think that's uh, like yeah. it's it's off. And just to be clear, I think like if you look at the screenplay, uh, that Greta Gerwig wrote, she like when she's flashing back, I think she writes in parentheses fiction question mark. So like even she leaves it open <laughs> in, in the right. screen at the screenplay level, right. what you're actually yeah. seeing. Uh, I, I, the movie, by the way, leaves a big like there's a big clue, like as soon as she meets with uh, Mr. Dashwood, right? Like there is the scene of Bear turning up at her house and having that yeah. nice dinner with her family. And then like the the rom-com rush to the airport yeah. moment. But you know, that's running. not you yeah. guys. What is the movie trying to tell you here? Like this is not. <laughs> that's happening. the thing. That's that's the thing is like that's all that stuff. Of, like, I think he yeah. loves you. Really? Yeah. You know, it's all just so yeah. over the top compared to everything else. Saccharine. in the movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It just totally doesn't saccharine and and, yeah. and it but I think that's the point is that this is this is the squeeze that commercialism puts on this. And I think Greta Gerwig is saying the same thing. I think she's saying, Hey, when I read Little Women, <laughs> it didn't you know, this is how I felt like this is how I, I thought it. it should end. Yeah. yeah. You know, but but clearly, 
you know, this is what has to happen sometimes. And so I'm even going to do it for you in this film version, but I'm also going to wink and tell you, that's not really what happened. Right. Because she's intercutting between this uh, romantic comedy style ending and the book getting like a lot of like bookmaking porn going on in this right. movie, right? And like right. really, like it, it, she, it's it's almost indicating like that is the real love story of this movie, right? Is yes. her coming yes. into her yes. own as a writer and get like getting this book made, getting her book work sold, and uh, and, and ownership, yeah, and ownership. ownership. I think and she's I think like clutching it, it to her. You know, it's like really meaningful. It's and, a, yeah. the triumph yeah. of the end is her retaining the rights to her work. Yeah, I yeah. think yeah. that. And I think that's this supposed to feel like this rousing, stirring, anthemic moment of like, you know, hey, I, A, A fuck you, pay me. And B, <laughs> it's mine. I made it. I keep yeah. it. We're not making sequels. And based also, on I my get stuff. the copyright. Like yeah. specifically, yeah. not just money, but also like, yeah, the the power of owning mm-hmm. the property. It's something mm-hmm. special. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I tried uh, to remember the um, the lighting in that scene, the the very final shot where she's looking at the book. Because yeah, it is when, the drab modern lighting. Is like, it, it is, okay? Yeah, okay, because realistic. Yeah, right. Because the the um, scene where they're all in the school and everything's wonderful, mm-hmm. that is very much the warm lighting that we get of, of the past. Yeah, that's a Joe Wright scenes. movie, and then this is like yeah, very <laughs> yeah. much realistic lighting. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah. So make of that what you will, listeners. Make of that what you will. But I, I do think it, it is brilliant that, I, I, you know, when I was saying have your cake and eat it too, I wasn't necessarily saying that's a bad thing. You know, no, I, I think, think I think yeah. it's brilliantly done. Uh, yeah. And it's it just like, it, it kind of leaves you thinking about like, what are the narratives I expect? And, mm-hmm. you know, it, as you said, Jeff, right, it forces you as the audience to consider your own role in demanding the kinds of stories where... Uh, like the happy ending is for the uh, the girl to get the guy, and like why why do, why do we demand that? And is that necessarily the best thing for the girl in all cases? Uh, mm-hmm, right. And I, I love how the movie does that. So. Yeah, I, I think it's a really smart reinterpretation of kind of this story. Like I I would certainly have yeah. more of an understanding if I read the book, but I'm still like flabbergasted that we can have this conversation about what does it really mean for an interpretation of something so old uh i've been like kind of similar i've been watching the netflix series dracula which is a weird retelling (laughs) of you know the bram stoker novel and it takes a lot of liberties and like changes Mm -hmm. things around and does so in a way that just feels like they're they're, it's stephen moffat doing his sherlock thing right and it feels like it's Mm -hmm. very flashy and really showing you like oh but what about this twist you never thought of it this way huh Whereas this movie is just like it slowly incepts the idea that, oh, I've been fooling you this whole time. How do you like that, suckers? You're just look, watching new versions of every movie that a young Kirsten Dunst was in. Is that yeah, the idea? Yeah, basically. basically. <laughs> okay. Can I ask you a question? I want to ask Melissa and Jeff a question here about like, uh, like do you feel like. Uh, are are you rooting for the Joe Laurie storyline? I, I, I know Melissa, you kind of already touched on this, but like, do you want them to get together, or do you want Joe to get together with Friedrich Bear? Because it seems to me as though she has a lot more in common with Friedrich Bear, who actually respects her as an artist and pushes her to do better. Uh, but of course, you know, Saoirse Ronan and Timothee Chalamet are very cute together. So I guess <laughs> there I mean, is a cute. Yeah, there is an undeniable I mean, cute. 
Yeah, I mean, I think this this movie does a really good job of making their relationship really seem like a brother and sister relationship. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. um, that that Joe in particular, I mean, she really treats him like a brother. I mean, Lori clearly didn't see her that way. But I think so that when it comes to that proposal, it doesn't feel as heartbreaking because you, you never really do feel that Joe looks at them that way. I mean, this movie, I think, makes you really believe that. And so it does, it just doesn't feel right. Um, and then with Mr. Bear, I mean, I don't necessarily even want, I mean, I think intellectually, she, they're definitely a better match. But I also mm-hmm. think that the film maybe purposely doesn't give us much more of their relationship, in part because I think Gerwig still wants the pinnacle of the movie to be Joe publishing her book, not getting together with this other character. So, I mean, I think in some ways you could say, I mean, if it's a movie about Joe meeting someone, then there's a flaw in not giving us more of Frederick. But if it's not really about that, it's more about her book, then I think it's perfectly constructed Mm -hmm. to give this sort of idea that there might be someone out there for her, but that's kind of not really the point. Mm. Um, It's, it's more about the, her and her, her book and her, her publishing of it. So yeah, this, the, I mean, this movie did a lot to reconcile me to not, <laughs> not being with, if anybody really. <laughs> well, so it's so interesting that that is that, you know, your central framing of this entire experience because you, you first... grew up with it. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And and I came in completely ignorant of all that, of all that baggage, yeah. uh, <laughs> and, you know, and, and not, not something I'm proud of at all, but I'm completely ignorant of it to the point where I was not viewing this movie as a love story. And, you know, I mean, perhaps indelicate of me to say, but I I didn't ever think that Joe was into boys. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just thought, yeah, you know, I I felt like she's, I didn't root for her to be with anybody. I was like, she's clearly beyond boys. Like beyond all of this. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Louisa May Alka actually, she did say something about feeling like she was a trapped, a boy trapped in a, a girl's body, and she never really was interested in men in that way. And people have kind of read that in different ways. But it, it does really feel that way, that mm-hmm. she doesn't really view men as like in a romantic way at all. There's right. a lot of clothes changing going on in this movie, too, like between yeah. Joe and Lori. Like they're swapping mm-hmm. clothes. Like they're. Yep. They're doing a lot of stuff. It's almost like to me, Lori seems framed as the way like the I think the a female character would be in a typical yeah. story like this too. Like it is right. it is an interesting flip in many ways. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Here's another random question, guys. Is it like messed up that Lori <laughs> went after <laughs> Joe with such intensity and then later ended up marrying her sister? That just <laughs> like and my my understanding is that the like ninety-four movie makes his decision feel much more uh, impulsive than it did in this movie, in which it feels like much better considered. This is a time at which your options are (laughs) those people, (laughs) you know? That's your, that's your, you know, it's not like we're, we we got, uh, we can swipe left, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think this movie does a really great job of convincing us that Amy loves Lori, but yeah, I'm not totally sure I buy that Lori has completely switched for Amy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like this, that's the thing is that like, I feel like, uh, like Joe's art whole arc feels like the best developed to me overall. Like she's the main really complete, right? Really complete. Um, 
I agree with you that, uh, what is it, Beth, the one that dies, right? Like, she basically mm-hmm. exists only to die. Amy's, like, slightly less fleshed out than than Joe. And then I felt like um, uh, Emma Watson's character, right, was mm-hmm. felt yeah. like it was given a little short shrift. Like, I, it felt mm-hmm. like a pretty incomplete arc to me. Uh, and so I appreciate that she tried to, like, give them all something, but, like, it... it, it with yeah. varying degrees of success, in my opinion. And as yeah. a result of that, I agree with you, Melissa, that like I felt like maybe I needed a little bit more about that relationship before I fully bought that like Joe had, oh, I'm sorry, uh, that Lori had made the the switch from uh, loving Joe to loving Amy. Yeah. Um, well, there's a, it, there's a shorthand. I mean, it's not a lot of screen time, but it, something that really worked for me because I've sort of experienced that in my own youth is is that little moment he has with Joe where he says, Hey, I loved you. I still love you, but I also, I love her and it's different. Like that, mm. that yeah. thing that mm-hmm. you can have that in your felt youth. True. When, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the thing you yeah. can have in your youth when you, when you, you feel like you're infatuated with someone and then it, it doesn't work out and then you meet someone else and you're like, Oh, I didn't know I could have love that felt like this. I thought all love was that first category that was mm-hmm. sort of weird and not right. And, uh, I don't know. It's really only one sentence, but it it unlocked something for me that made it made me buy that transition better. Yeah, I think I mean, the 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 telling of that does make sense. Maybe just a little bit more of showing of that. Sure. But but yeah, I will. I do want to say I I do think that you're right, um, David, that there, it would have been nice to have a little bit more of Beth and um, Meg, although I would say that that's also in the novel as well. Um, but I did really like what Gerwig... When you said I that's also that, in the novel, are you saying the well, novel just, has actual more stuff or that's the way the novel well, treats them? Well, there is a little bit more about both of those characters, but I, I think I, you do always feel like they're, they are more side supporting characters right. that you don't get as much of, of them, um, in the, in the novel as well. Um, but I think Gerwig did something really interesting with, she sort of paired Beth, um, um, and her death with Meg and her wedding. And I think that thematically, um, really ties this whole idea of loss and things changing, particularly relative to Joe, who was so like for her, her community and her relationships, their family are so important. And when, Beth dies, there's this loss. And then the Meg's wedding is also a loss that's breaking yeah. up their, their family, essentially. And there's that you, you mentioned that um earlier, um, Jeff, about the um the when the cut from Beth's death to Beth out the window and it's Meg's wedding. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's like these two losses for Joe, I think, are paired there. Um, and that I think especially, yeah, yeah, it is really beautiful. And I think it especially came home to me this time too, because in part, because my 18 year old daughter really responded to that part of the film where she feels like she, at 18, she's kind of losing her childhood in a way. And yet she doesn't feel like an adult yet. And so that, (laughs) that aspect of the film, that sense of loss and losing your, your childhood, um, not because death in particular, but you just feel like people are growing up, they're going away and you're, you're losing this closeness that you had with this community. And there isn't, you're Mm -hmm. worried that there's never going to be something to replace it. And I think this film really teases that out really beautifully with those two characters in particular, Beth and, um, Meg, as they relate to Joe. There's almost a bit of the end of like Lady Bird in here too, of like the loss of like where you grew up and what yes. it means and what moving on means and what yeah, 
there there's so much to that like there is a drop of nostalgia throughout this entire movie in a way maybe that happens because you're starting in the modern you know uh, framework like yeah we haven't mentioned Meryl Streep by the way and I think her character is fantastic and does a good job of really solidifying like what the themes of the film are and like at least like what she's trying to tell Joe and how she kind of aligns herself more with Amy like it all kind of makes sense and i think on amy's part too like really fleshes her out as a character like um by basically saying like oh you were the last hope of this family in a way right like who knows if joe is gonna you know have a decent career but uh somebody needs to marry well so that you know your family gets some sort of support and i do feel like throughout the scenes in paris like there that is kind of a weight on amy in a way like it almost like that whole early uh relationship he had she had and like her push to like get engaged with that person i don't that didn't seem as much for her as it did for the family like this is what i have Mm -hmm. to do in a way Mm -hmm. the only casting that i found drawing was bob odenkirk Odenkirk. saul goodman (laughs) well when he appears when he appears it's hard to like yeah i mean i love the guy i love him and and i I get it he's now clearly a dramatic actor but I just he, he's ridiculous. I, I just see him as Mr. Show and a comedian, well, I, and I just I agree, Jeff, because because basically <laughs> the entire movie, until he appears, is building up to him appearing. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Because it's like <laughs> right. we have another letter from Father, and it's like you know you never see Father, you never see the flashback, <laughs> and so you're like, hmm, I wonder who Father could. Are we ever even going to meet Father during the course of the movie? And then he shows up, and it's Saul Goodman. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> That was the dramatic buildup to that guy. I mean, again, I, I, I was I, like, <laughs> really, Laura Dern? That's, really? Okay. That's what you chose? <laughs> I mean, I love Bob Odenkirk. Dude. Yes. He's a yeah. genius. He's so good. Yeah. But he's a, for me, he's a comedic genius. Well, and, and I just, every scene he's in, I'm just like, where's the gag? You know, I don't know. Better Call Saul, one of the best shows on TV. Okay. Like, let's just be clear. And he's yeah. great in it. Uh, but just, just my not favorite the... sketch comedy show of all time yeah. is Mr. <laughs> show. I love him. He's a genius. Just, just not probably, the role I expected yeah. him to be in. Anyway. It doesn't help that his costuming and like his word, like even his like facial hair looks like it's a Mr. Show sketch. Like it looks <laughs> like, like he, he is in a period thing. He yeah. looks so very true. anachronistic. Yeah. 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 It's so true. He's like in a different movie. Although I have to say, I loved, um, Oh, what's his name? The actor who plays the, the neighbor. Chris uh, Cooper. Yeah, Chris Cooper, Cooper is just like under a mountain of hair. It's awesome. <laughs> I was like, wow, he, he looks great. really good. Yeah, he was great. And I loved his, it was very beautiful and, and heartbreaking, his whole arc with the piano and everything like that. Oh, yeah. Although that yeah. was another random, like, here, here's the thing. At some point in this movie, I just kind of like let go of my, <laughs> uh, like, my adherence. My I suspended my disbelief fully because this is, there's this scene where they go out and they help the like even poorer family and they come back mm-hmm. and there's this whole feast there and I'm like, huh, okay. <laughs> I guess he must have had like a bunch of delivery people like send that over. Uh, and then when he delivers the piano, I'm like, okay, this just, we're not dealing with any kind of reality that often. But also, <laughs> also like he delivered them a feast because they helped the poor people. He should have just sent the feast to the poor people, right? I mean, Maybe? hopefully he did both. You know? Yeah, he's like... But then, like, piano, like you know, modern technology can barely move pianos that efficiently. So, like, how they do it back? Anyway, okay. But that's not yeah. that's not what the movie's about. That's not what the movie's about. Yeah. I, I will say one thing: the movie is kind of about, by the way, is like the power of goodness in yeah, a very yes. powerful way. Like, there there is yeah. no church. There's no like real religion here. It's just kind of 
Yeah, it's just people yeah. being good. That That is Marnie's whole thing, basically. There yeah. is a really interesting shot um, when the the March women are going to bring food to the Hummel family. And in the background are people going into a church. Mm. And it's it's a really kind of a striking mm. contrast that these women are, you know, doing charity, essentially. Meanwhile, people are sort of piously going to church. And, and that's very much kind of tied to the transcendentalists and Louisa May Alcott and her sort of family. They kind of swore off church and they were doing other things. But it, it was a kind of a nice just visual moment i think that yes. sort of underscores what you're saying devendra you can do good without being religious which is something amazing that, yes uh yes. yeah it's something we should all remember but i think we can uh, wrap it up there unless there's anyone else who has any anything you want to make sure we talk about but I, I think we've we've journeyed through most of the film i think it's a great film and everyone should go watch it so if you've if you've come this far in the review and you haven't seen the movie yet Go check I, it out. I want to say one last quick yes. thing, which probably goes without saying, but Bring we home, haven't Jeff. really mentioned it. And we didn't mention it last week because I hadn't seen this movie. Uh, it is a travesty <laughs> that Greta Gerwig is not nominated for Best Director. Uh, Listen, it directed itself, okay? Uh, <laughs> it is happened. unbelievable to me. I mean, honestly, oh, the, the, the direction of this movie is exquisite. And yeah. I just I just can't square that circle. It's It's pretty pretty frustrating agreed 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 yeah um well thanks for reminding us of that uh for for those who don't remember the five nominees were quentin tarantino bong joon ho sam mendes todd phillips and martin scorsese i know who i would replace uh with greta gerwig in that mix but i think everyone will have a different answer for that me too in in any case (laughs) in any case uh, this has been our review of Little Women. Uh, you can find more episodes of the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. And this episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Melissa Taminga, where can people find more of your work on the internet? I am at seattlescreenscene.com and also uh, at one April day, O-N-E-A-P-R-I-L-D-A-Y on Twitter. Jeff Kanata? You can find me on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I also do a video game podcast that's called DLC. You can find that wherever you get podcasts or by just heading over to 5x5.tv slash DLC. I also do a live play Dungeons and Dragons show where I'm making up the story. If you want to hear you hear me talking about stories all the time, I'm the guy authoring a big story with a bunch of really talented improvi- improvisers um, playing the characters. Uh, I urge you to give it a shot. It's called The Dungeon Run. You can find it wherever you get podcasts as an audio podcast by searching for The Dungeon Run, or you can find it on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run there, or you can watch it live when we record it on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. How about you, Devendra? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Devendra. I write about tech at Engadget.com, and I'm also co-hosting the Engadget podcast there, so go check that out. I host a show called Culturally Relevant, where I interview cool people every other week. Check it out at culturallyrelevantshow.com. Next week, we will be discussing... The Gentleman. Uh, so we reviewed Little Women this week. Next week, it's The Gentleman. Uh, the new Guy Ritchie movie. 
should be a fun discussion. So yeah. tune in it, it kind that. of balances the gender scales there because yeah, that <laughs> movie does apparently does not have many women in it. Oh well. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's balanced, you know, if you take into account uh, the last century of movies, but yeah, uh, if you take into account just these, for the podcast, these two weeks of a podcast, certainly I agree with you. Um, so you know what though? To be fair, I never read that book in high school either. It's so. true. It's true. So it's a I classic. Guess, yeah, it's it's all even. Okay. Well, uh, that's going to be our plan for next week. Tune in for that. Uh, This has been the Slash Swimcast. We'll see you later.